Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Pharma Forum, and I'm joined today by Aditya Prakash, CEO at Version. Version is working on novel uh, drug development uh, for for diseases using AI, among other companies in, in that space. Um, AI, obviously, right now, a big topic in any field, uh, has been uh a topic of, of some discussion in pharma for a little while now. So I'm happy to have you here at DTO to talk a little bit about Version, what you do, and where you see uh, the future of AI in pharma. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonah. Uh, glad to be here. Well, uh, let me tell you a little bit about how we feel about uh, new drug discovery and development, where things are going. Yeah, I would love to hear it. As much as Everybody uh, is talking about AI, and AI is obviously, you know, a big hot topic, as you pointed out. Uh, we believe AI is just one of many tools that are required to actually take drug discovery and development to the next stage. Uh, hanging your hat on this latest buzzword as uh, some kind of a panacea does not work. So you're hearing it from a company that you just described as an AI medicine company but if you look at how we describe ourselves what we say we uh, we don't really try to promote this ai buzzword as you know uh, a be all and end all uh, for drug discovery because it's not we've been using ai for far longer than ai has been you know uh hot in the media uh, far longer than many of these other ai and medicine companies uh, but as i said before it is just one of many tools. Uh, you need several other things, major advancements in many other aspects of science to be able to do drug discovery and development, especially small molecule drug discovery and development correctly. Yeah. So you have been you you've been in the um, you've done some interviews and and some posts uh, talking about this this sort of not skepticism of AI, but but acknowledgement that AI is as as you say not the be all and end all. It and and currently has some some issues when when you try to use it for this. So so talk to me a little bit about that. What what are some of the things that that uh, make it so that we need to to take this this broader perspective and and um, tell me a little bit about kind of what the other pieces of the puzzle are for Version when it comes to drug discovery. When it comes to AI, what often doesn't get explained to the general population, or even for biotech experts who don't come from the technology world, right, is how AI really works. You feed it a whole bunch of data, then you give it something similar, it knows what to predict. You can mix and match these things, you know, uh, using generative AI, uh, produce something, uh, some uh, mashup, that's great. But AI has a fundamental data problem, especially when in the context of small molecule drug discovery. What is it trained on? It's trained on existing data, existing experiments, published results, other stuff like that, which is a small, little, uh, tiny pittance compared to the total number of possibilities uh, that one could explore based on the currently known rules of organic synthesis, uh, the number of possibilities of uh, new drug structures uh, that uh, could be out there. Uh, we don't have data on any of that stuff, right? We only have data on what we have done before, which is a very, very small subset of that, like incredibly tiny subset. What's uh, also problematic 
is that a lot of that data is still not very well uh, fleshed out, even uh, on the existing uh, kinds of chemotypes that we have already made and tested. A lot of data in the biopharma world that's published is often, as you know, not reproducible. So there is a data quality problem, even in that small amount of data. And nobody publishes the negative data, which is also very important to train AI. Okay, So combine these three things, and suddenly you realize uh, asking AI trained on that data to suddenly you know, change everything is more than just asking a lot. Uh, it's not possible. AI is good at interpolation, but terrible at extrapolation. And it's not going to be able to tr uh, train on that data and suddenly come up with giant leaps of imagination to give you something completely new. So my understanding has always been that part of the appeal of AI in drug discovery is just that so much of drug discovery is trial and error and AI can do trial and error faster, right? <laughs> but I suppose that it can only do that if it has reliable models, right? If it, if it can actually see what yeah. something does. You are absolutely correct. Uh, and uh, when you say much of drug discovery is trial and error, that trial and error gives you sort of new hits, right? But you must actually already make it ahead of time to do that. Now, can AI suddenly propose to you something fundamentally novel, not something it has already been trained on and has seen? No. What it can do is at a later stage of the game, when you have all, you're tweaking, like medicinal chemists are doing, going through uh, doing drug optimization, um, mixing and matching things based on existing types of uh, variations, analogs that they've already made. Yeah, it may be able to help you speed that process up. Some of that trial and error it can bias your, you know, uh, business decision making process, which you make first or whatever else, based on everything that you have fed it. That's around that same pool of, you know, uh, related information. Yes, it can do that, uh, but it can't hypothesize for you fundamentally novel, you know, starting points that it has never seen. Of course. So, so tell me a little bit about what you do at. At Version, what's your approach to drug discovery and how is it different from um, some of what you see in, in your competition or in, um, you know, historical uh, bigger pharma groups? Like anything else in, uh, in this world, new tools come along like AI now or uh, it, the pharma world has seen similar hypes before. Uh, sometimes the hype uh, gets disconnected from reality. Uh, does the tool have some utility? Yes, as, as we were talking about. But there are many other things, as I said before, are required in this field. So how do you get around this, what you'd call the synthesis bottleneck? Having to already make something before to uh, then try it and generate the data that you need, that you can then use for traditional drug discovery, feed it to AI or whatever. How do you get around this synthesis bottleneck? How do you generate fundamentally new data on the kinds of novel chemotypes that nobody has ever made before? The only way to do that is first, you need to be able to generate on the computer synthesizable molecules where you can predict the entire synthetic recipe that are actually makeable, but that are fundamentally novel and new uh, using currently known rules of organic chemistry uh, using some sort of a, an expert system. Nowadays, everybody calls it an AI or whatever else, but uh, it's not. Uh, but you can, once you can do that, that's useful. But now you have to figure out whether it'll bind to a target protein. And here, AI cannot help you. It's a fundamentally novel uh, molecular structure that you're hypothesizing. 
AI has not data on anything similar that it, uh, so it can help you predict something. This is where advances in molecular physics come in. People have been using this, as you know, computer-aided drug discovery tools from Tripos to Schrodinger to many other people uh, for a long, long time. The problem is those tools simply didn't have the accuracy to truly replace hypothetical screening experiments. This is why over 95% of everything being developed today still comes from hypothetical screens because you don't have any other reliable way to do this. So it took us over a decade and a half to build the fundamental advancements in molecular physics necessary to be able to actually reliably replace the high-throughput screening experiments and be able to uh, be novel design fundamentally novel chemotypes that and be able to predict whether it will bind to a protein target. Now, think about what that does. It allows you to generate fundamentally new data, okay, based on physics to figure out if it's going to bind to a target protein. This is data that you cannot go find by trolling existing literature or high-throughput screening experiments. This gives you the new starting points. You can convert them now into lab data. If your physics model is accurate enough, so you're not lost in a sea of false positives and false negatives, you can actually now uh, convert them into lab data, figure out all the other properties for these you know, new molecules that you have just proposed. You can feed your AI all of that data, data that nobody else has. And you can optimize and tweak these molecules within those you know, small islands using your own AI tools. So when you combine molecular physics to generate this novel you know, data, explore uncharted parts of the chemical space that you know, uh, current AI trained on the existing medicine chemistry data sets it was not gonna be able to do. But for that exploration, you need advances far beyond just pulling down existing you know, uh, tools from some company uh, like Schrodinger or others that are, uh, that are uh, selling these tools, okay? And combine them now with your own AI tool set, you can fundamentally change the kinds of drugs you can come up with. How does that help you get over kind of that, that fundamental, because it seems like the fundamental problem here is that there's, there's things that you can do in, in a computer and things that you have to do in a lab, right? And the AI can only do the things that you can do in a computer. It can only learn from, you know, what's been, what's, what exists as data. Great point. So let me try to explain. We, we established that AI working on that tiny little pool by the side of the uncharted chemical ocean, okay, uh, is what everybody else is using. How do you go explore that? Using physics, you, know, you can hypothesize that fundamentally new uh, uh, drug structures that you're ab initio designing will be a great binder to your target protein that's uh, addressing a particular disease. Great. Now you can feed this uh, to AI already, but you can do better. You convert these now into actual lab data, all right? Actual lab data that nobody else has. And you can use this and feed your own AI tools to you know, further tweak and optimize drugs around these. You know, your AI tools, you know, when you have designed you know, a cluster of compounds, let's say, that are great binders to, to a particular target protein, completely novel you know, uh, structures, right? AI is not going to let you jump out of that uh, similar structures, give you something fundamentally different necessarily, but it can help you speed up the uh, optimization of these drugs based on lab data that you're, uh, that you're delivering. And you pointed out a very uh, good thing. There are companies out there nowadays claiming they're going to use AI for all kinds of things, like predicting talks for fundamentally novel molecules and other things like those. Well, 
that doesn't work. The reality is, as uh, I sometimes say, uh, they also have land to sell you on Mars, right? Using existing da uh, data sets that you have, you know, and published results, et cetera, if you give it something very, very similar, it might give you some prediction of, you know, uh, potential tox liabilities or other things like those, right? But for fundamentally new, different kinds of molecules, can doesn't have any predictive power. What's worse is that ask any medicinal chemist, they'll tell you small changes in a molecule can make big differences in how it behaves in the body. It's pharmacokinetics, it's pharmacodynamics, et cetera, right? And AI, again, gets stuck in those situations because you don't have dense enough data sets to be able to really, you know, say what this small little change will do, even on existing well-trodden pools. Forget the new ones. So going back to your question, you must actually use the lab to validate the novel things that you've designed. They're great binders, but you don't know anything about the rest of their properties, you know, what it'll do to the body, right? How, you know, it's going to get chewed up by the liver. Uh, does it gonna, uh, is it going to get, get through the gut membranes? All of that stuff. These are things you can, you, uh, you can have some sort of a hypothesis. Maybe it'll do it, but you must do the lab experiments to actually generate that data. And now you can feed AI all of that data to help you potentially optimize these drugs further. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing about AI is that we hear, at least in the world of kind of broader consumer AI, that it has a tendency to hallucinate, right? It doesn't know what it doesn't know, and it's a black box, so you don't know if it's wrong. I mean, in pharma, I, I could see that being potentially disastrous. If, if you're relying, even if you're just relying on it to kind of rule out molecules that don't work, you know, it's got to be accurate. Uh, okay, you can use AI to do, uh, as I mentioned before, some sort of business decision support, biasing your results, knowing sometimes it will make crazy mistakes. Uh, as long as those things are not, you know, really disastrous, and you say, ah, I missed something, not a big deal, it's, uh, it can be used. Again, the way everybody else is using it, just to, you know, go through the existing trodden pools and, you know, make variations of what people have already found. If you see what all these AI and medicine companies are de de developing and delivering so far into the clinic, they're just little rehashes of existing drugs. You know, they're me too's. Okay. And as you and I both know, the, our industry is filled with me too drugs, you know, already. And maybe AI just, you know, increases that some. Uh, but if you are looking for something entirely fundamentally different, AI is not there to really help you. But you brought up an entirely different problem, which is all these kinds of current AI models, as you call it, they hallucinate. Yes, that's bad. You know, and they also make uh, weird corner case errors, both of which mean that you will have problems already with the existing AI tools. But you will have, you know, this is a problem. Even uh, it's an even bigger problem when you rely on that for certain mission critical uh, uh, setups uh, in healthcare settings, for instance. If there is a the reason, uh, for instance, uh, in uh, various healthcare settings, AI hasn't fully completely taken over, is because we haven't learned how to solve these problems yet, right? Uh, but I want to mention something. And I don't want to go into a very long, you know, uh, discussion. Uh, I want want you to uh, interrupt and ask your questions. But people often conflate things that are entirely different and lump them together into one pile, and it uh, adds to the confusion. There is protein folding. There is 
biologic drug development and optimization. And then there are small molecule drugs, the bread and butter business of big pharma and uh, modern medicine for obvious reasons, right? Uh, and you have healthcare, uh, clinical trials and healthcare. Okay, so you have four different buckets. Protein folding isn't the same as drug discovery. We all know that. But for a lot of people, they say, oh, you know, uh, look, AlphaFold has, you know, is helping, you know, uh, predict protein structure. All drug discovery is going to be solved by AI. Well, it's an entirely different kind of problem. AI has a different role in there. You uh, try to come up using uh, nature's machinery, novel antibodies, you know, biologic development. You know, there you want to optimize them further. Well, protein folding rules, other things like those, and AI uh, has probably a different kind of role there. You know, potentially more useful. Uh, now you come to small molecule drug discovery, where you have literally a billion, trillion, trillion unexplored novel chemical structures. Right, it's a, a new playing field, and you have no data to uh, to help you, which is what we were discussing. AI has minuscule, limited role in there, right? By itself, you need other tools to help it overcome its data bottleneck. And then we have the fourth tier, which is clinical trials and healthcare delivery and so forth. That's an entirely different problem too. For some reason. Uh, in the media, it often gets conflated, you know, all four of these things. And it adds to the general confusion across the whole you know, industry. In that fourth arena, looking at electronic health records, looking at uh, radi uh, radiology uh, uh, images, other stuff like that, AI can help you uh, with the human tasks. But you know why all the radiologists have already, uh, not all, all been fired already? It's for the problem you just mentioned. AI tends to make corner case mistakes and sometimes hallucinate. And uh, with the current deep learning models, we have not figured out how to solve those problems, okay? Which is, uh, which is why, you know, you still need a check because you don't want AI to make some weird mistakes sometimes where somebody really has cancer and, and it ignored it or vice versa. So we've talked a lot about limitations of AI, and, and I think they're all very fair points. But of course, if we've learned anything over the last year and a half, two years, it's that AI it is advancing at a staggering rate. Um, so I guess my big question is, do you see these as permanent limitations, fundamental limitations, or do you see a future where AI is able to do the things that right now we say it can't do? Uh, remember, when we say AI advancements, it's often AI and advancements in many other things, all coming hand in hand to make these uh, big leaps, right? Yes, AI will continue to improve. Hopefully, we will be able to get rid of you know, some of these quarter case mistakes and help uh, in AI uh, so that it will be even more reliable in healthcare over time, truly you know, changing and improving the workflow for uh, our healthcare professionals, our doctors, you know, our nurses, okay? Uh, and we will be able to trust it and rely on it. Uh, that's something that we need as society. It's, you know, really going to be fundamentally useful and wonderful. AI, it continues to help with speeding up some of this, you know, say, little um, rote things humans have been forced to do. Yes. All of that is useful, even in the traditional sense of medicinal chemistry optimization. AI is helping, you know, and if it makes a mistake sometimes, it's probably not the end of the world because you're still doing the experiment and validating it, right, in the uh, early drug discovery phase. Those are all useful. But we have to understand that when it comes to 
small molecule drug discovery, for instance, and many arenas like these. It's not just that since we are talking here about drug discovery and development, let's talk about small molecule drug discovery. AI by itself, current AI the way we know it, you know, isn't going to help you generate fundamentally new ideas and uh, proposals, right? Based on something that it has never, ever seen, right? That's not how AI works. Even how AI works, we are talking about solving the corner case problems there, and that will continue to improve, okay? Uh, but what is happening is that you are actually starting to see many of these other fields come together. All these different tools work in synergies. The fundamental advancements in molecular physics modeling that we have to build, combined with the right AI tools to really change how we can do drug discovery. So in, in a sense, you're right. AI and all these other technology developments, okay, whether you throw it all under the same umbrella or not is irrelevant, you know, is fundamentally changing what we can do in many, many different areas. And one other thing I want to mention here is that AI is a big term. Within it, you have various different kinds of AI tools and models. Uh, and you often need to be able to design the right tools and technologies that are fit for purpose for specific problems. Uh, many of these AI and medicine companies, they're pulling down existing libraries, just feeding it, you know, uh, current data sets or whatever else, right? They don't have the capability to develop fundamentally new AI uh, technologies and tools. When it comes to certain parts of this landscape we were just mentioning, because they're not all the same. Let's take small molecule drug discovery, for instance, right? Because that's what we do. I'm gonna just use that as an example. It's a realm of small data, not big data. What do I mean by that? Small and big depend on context, right? It is small compared to the number of parameters that, uh, that you're trying to track that characterize the system, okay? Uh, everybody talks about big data, but nobody explains what that really means. And uh, they talk about deep learning and all these models, which, which are the culmination of the big data approach to AI. Uh, so let's take, characterizing anything like faces or radiological images uh, of, you know, tumors or, you know, uh, fractures in bones, whatever, right? Maybe there are a thousand different parameters that characterize the system perfectly, okay? So you, you uh, get those right, you, you know, this is exactly Jonah's face. What you need for a typical big data approach to AI for a deep learning model is about four to 5,000 times larger number of examples in your data set compared to the number of parameters characterizing the system to be able to really build a good deep learning model, okay? Now, that means about four to five million examples, which is easy to get to, you know, for labeled faces on the internet, no right. problem, right? But now imagine you're trying to optimize a drug that can, you know, where you can uh, make 30, 40, 50 different changes. And for each of those changes, you're trying to track who knows, another 20 or 30 different things uh, those changes might be doing to your body. The Cartesian product is in the thousands now. Are you going to collect four to five million examples? The entire industry doesn't have the capability to do that. And nobody talks about that, uh, and nobody wants to tell you about that because, you know, that's a problem that they'd rather that you don't focus on. So uh, this requires new tools, novel approaches that aren't the traditional, you know, big data, deep, deep learning approach to AI. And we had to build those, you know, and uh, we recently acquired a company that was of uh, building tools and models 
that's uh, far outdue in, uh, in these kinds of sparse data situations, any of Google's uh, AutoML or other libraries that everybody's using. Well, this has been really a fascinating conversation in detail. We're, we're coming to the end of our time, so I, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else you want to share or highlight um, or anything you're thinking about when looking towards the, the future and trends in this space. Well, Jonah, it has been a pleasure talking to you, uh, discussing some of the things that seem to be uh, absent from the current public discourse, and I hope some of this will also help uh, people in pharma and biotech understand the problems better. Uh, when it comes to overall future of this space, I'm very optimistic. The convergence of advancements in all these different arenas, including novel AI technology development that we were just discussing, advancements in modeling, molecular modeling of physics uh, better, advancements in many, many other fields, better automation, better Characterization of various biological pathways, other things like those, all these as they come together will fundamentally change. You know, and it's, you know, it's really, really uh, exciting because that has a direct impact on all of our lives. We live in the modern world, rely on modern medicine to keep us living healthier, longer life. There is already a lot of advancement, but it can be so much better, so much faster, and it's coming. And what I've gotten from this conversation is it really is just about understanding your tools and what what job they they do well and they're meant to do right to trying to trying to use ai which is a really powerful i mean really family of technologies um in in the wrong way or for things that it's not good at is not going to move the field forward in the way that we're hoping right you're absolutely correct we should remember ai is a tool and used properly in the right context it can uh, be really really phenomenally useful but it is only a tool and it's not a panacea, which is how often it's being promoted. Indeed. Yeah, it's a, the, kind of the nature of, of hype and technology, I think. Uh, so it's, it's been a very good, refreshing, interesting conversation. I, I've certainly learned a lot and I'm looking forward to sharing that with our, with our listeners. So thanks so much. Thank you, John. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening.